Abuse could be defined as the improper use of something, unjust or corrupt practice, or cruel and violent treatment of another person. Spiritual abuse is abuse administered under the guise of religion or spirituality, including harassment or humiliation, which may result in psychological trauma. Spiritual abuse may also include misuse of religion for selfish, secular, or ideological ends, such as the abuse of a clerical position. There are extreme examples of spiritual abuse found in sexual abuse cover-ups or in cult groups like the Branch Davidian cult or the People's Temple. But also, doctrinally sound, biblically-based churches or ministries can sadly delve into the territory of routinely using fear, guilt, or manipulation to produce unquestioning obedience, a sense of elitism, uniformity, or inappropriate loyalty, which could all qualify as forms of spiritual abuse. But does every bad church experience qualify as spiritual abuse? When is it spiritual abuse, and when is it just the brokenness or immaturity of church leaders or members? Welcome everybody to the Beards and Bibles podcast. My name is Josh. I'm joined by Gabriel. Gabriel is looking dapper today. Mm. How you doing, sir? Doing well, doing well. I don't know about dapper, though. I, just... I would say, yeah, I, I think you're looking dapper. You've got a different color shirt on than you normally do. <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah, that's a big improvement. I'm wearing a jogging shorts and a flannel shirt and a trucker hat. I don't know we'll if that's... See. I didn't see your jogging shorts because your camera's only, yeah. I don't, you don't move your camera either. No, so. I'm not going to, that's just Okay, weird. good. Yeah, okay. that is weird because we're on YouTube now. People could see that as well, so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, how are things going in your world? Good, good. I've been wearing jogging shorts a lot lately, just continuing to <laughs> run and. Uh, oh, that's right. You're training for a marathon. Yeah, yeah. We did a, we did a 10 mile run yesterday. Nice. Um, so yeah, it's Chris, my friend Chris and I. Um, possibly, possibly may become my stepbrother. It's weird. <laughs> that is super weird. Yeah. Yeah. I just yeah. think of, uh, the, the movie stepbrothers. So yeah. 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 As long as he has the top bunk, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, we were joking about that the other day, how weird it is that our parents are dating. And yeah, uh, yeah like I, I was, I was driving, um, I was driving home yesterday and I pulled into our neighborhood and you know, my mom lives like 10 doors down from me. And, and Bob, her suitor lives like another four doors down, three or four doors down. And, uh, I was driving home yesterday and I, I, my mom had been out of town for a while. So she's back home and, and, uh, it's like six o'clock in the morning or six 30 in the morning. I'm like driving through the neighborhood and I passed them walking, um, together, uh, down, down the street. And so I naturally, I pull over and I start talking to them and stuff. And, um, you know, you can tell they're just like after after two weeks of of uh, separation, they're just both like, you know, all smiley pants and all yeah. gleeful. Mm. And so, like, I I say bye and I'm like heading back towards my house. Oh, I I was actually out running. That's what I was doing. And uh, I was heading back towards my house, and I just glance in the rearview mirror at them, and they're like locked, their hands locked together and walking. And I'm like, <laughs> oh man, <laughs> you're like, yeah. I'm like. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's always weird. It's always because, weird like to see your parents pursuing yeah. romance. because um, my parents got divorced when I was in my twenties and my dad remarried and my stepmom's awesome. She's great. And my mom has has dated off and on for the past twelve, thirteen years or so. And some of those guys are uh not mm. so much. Not yeah. so much. She she dated a guy. She dated a guy that was my age for a while. Mm. That was weird. Yeah, that's that really weird. Be... He looked just like Richard Branson too. <laughs> <laughs> She's got good taste. I guess so. I don't think he had Richard Branson's money or love of rockets in space, but uh, hmm. yeah, it was a little, little awkward for a bit. But it sounds like Bob the Suitor is a different. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a good guy. I like him. Good. Um, yeah. That, so we so we've been running a lot. The only the only thing about that is. Um, we're getting into as it's getting hotter and muggier, you know, and here in Southern mm. Alabama, we're getting into chafing season. So, yeah. yes, I'm going to leave it at that. Not share it anymore. Well, after we get off the podcast, I'll, I'll give you my tricks because oh boy, the race I trained for last year was in October, so that means like my peak training was in August. 
which was so, your, your peak chafing. My peak chafing and training. <laughs> yes. So I'll give you my tricks. It's a uh, yeah. Yeah. There's ways around it. There's workarounds. So you don't want to share them like right now. I mean, I don't. <laughs> it just involves a lot of petroleum jelly. Wow. Okay. Yeah. You just <laughs> you just get it and all the places that chafing could possibly happen. Yeah. Yeah. You, you lather up real good before you go out for a run. I can't imagine someone downwind from that. They're just like, why does that <laughs> smell like an oil refinery? That smells oily. It's you. Yeah. Like a very Only thing is like, flammable. Um, yeah, you're, you're quite flammable. So avoid any open flames. Um, second is like, you've got it all over like your hands and stuff after, after that. So like turning mm. music on, on your phone or putting in headphones or anything like that. That's, and do you run with headphones when you do your long distance runs? I just have earbuds in. Yeah. Okay. So when uh, I was I was doing my long uh, runs, I would do like a, a, a long long form podcast or mm-hmm. an audible book or something like that just to keep my attention. Yeah, so, so much of it is mental, you know that it's like it is man distract you from distract you from the misery that you're subjecting yourself to. Yeah, it's you know, quite I, interesting why we do it to ourselves. You know. Yeah. We don't it's have to. The psychology of suffering. Yeah, that could be a whole other podcast topic on that, but. Yeah, like why do we like going out and camping and sleeping on the ground? Because we have it way too good and we're way too comfortable now. And so mm-hmm. I think there's a part of us that wants to prove to ourselves that if we didn't have all the things that we had, we could still make it. Mm. You just summarize an entire potential podcast. <laughs> so so just, we don't have to do a podcast episode in it. There's the conclusion. I yeah. just like drew a box with that and then you just checked it. So, <laughs> yeah. There you go. Ding. This is a two for one, guys. There you go. Yeah. So I saw a picture of you. He looks like you, uh, or no, a video of you out grilling with your, with your chillins out in the backyard. Looks yes. like you're living the life. You texted me. That. Yeah, I did text you that. We've had a crazy month of May, man. It has been insane. Like baseball season, dance recital, end of the school year, church stuff. Uh, my wife's uh, work has been crazy because she had a couple of nurses that stepped down. So she's had to pick up extra hours. And hmm. so, yeah, last Thursday after, after a really tough week, we finally had one night of the week. We didn't have anything going on. And, uh, I grilled out burgers for the family and, and did dad life. And sent, sent gave a video of me grilling out and yeah, drinking seltzer water and jamming, getting, out. jamming out to hotel California. Yeah. Like a boomer dad. It was great. Mm. Did you have your white New Balances on? I came close. I came close. <laughs> didn't, want, didn't want to get hamburger grease on them, you know? So. Yeah. Good call. That was actually a trick question. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. No, it was good, man. We've we've been doing well. We just it's just been crazy. A lot of just a lot of random stuff going on, and yeah. So uh, we're ready for a slowdown. I'll say that it's just you know it just seems like everything in ministry will will go through seasons where it's calm. And then it all is just like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, like everything all at the same time. And then you weather that season and then it calms down and then it comes back again. Like we're kind of in one of those crazy seasons right now. But Yeah, and I think, okay. you know, preaching to the choir too, but I think it's important to know how and when to say no to obligations or to commitments. And I think it's, it, you know, as pastors, you get into this position where you're like, I can never say no because you know, that's just my, that's, I'm obligated to do these things. And I think a, a reasonable person would say, oh, you're too busy. Okay. I understand. But an unreasonable person would be like, no, you can't say no to this because this is your job. This is your obligation. Yeah. So I think it's, it's important. We remember that, you know, we need to model good, healthy balance in our lives and say no to, to commitments and obligations when they would otherwise mean, you know, too much of a, a time strain in our family. Yeah, absolutely, um, man. Yeah, so it's it's yeah. easier said it's than done. It's easy, absolutely easier said than done. Yeah, you want, and, you and I'm very helpful to people when you want to serve people. Yeah, I'm very blessed to be a part of a church that really gets it and understands. Mm-hmm. And I've got some fantastic elders that uh, this afternoon they're meeting today just to pray for me and pray over me, just because I had I had some uh, pretty tense conversations I had to have with. Uh, um, somebody in our community. <laughs> mm. I'll just say this, not someone that goes to our church, but someone for the past five years that has sent me anonymous mail about how I'm a heretic 
and I don't know what I'm doing mm. and our church is all going to hell. Jeez. And I, yeah. So, and it all came to a head last week um, with like harassment, like emails and letters and stuff written and I'd have a phone call and tell this guy, if you show up again, we're calling the police, that kind of thing. So wow. yeah, I feel pretty beat up uh, this week, but I've got some fantastic people around me praying for me, holding me holding me up right now and um yeah so today they're they're gonna get together and just pray for me it's awesome speak life into me and man i came in this morning uh to my office early and um i had a letter sitting on my desk and i'm like oh man more anonymous (laughs) and uh man it was just this really really sweet letter from this lady whose daughter attends our church and she visited and she was just writing to say she really, really, really was ministered and blessed by our church service. And it's awesome. So that's yeah. the the double sided sword of ministry. You get <laughs> you get wolves you have to shoot at. And then you get people that are so incredibly encouraging and sweet and Christ like that love on you and love on you through it. And it's just yeah. Yeah. Emotional peaks and valleys, you know, yeah, all the time. Absolutely. And so I'm gonna make this recommendation and to our audience and to you as well, but knowing full well this is something that I don't do myself but wish I got in the habit of doing is keeping a journal in in a journal of encouraging interactions because one of the you know you may be bulletproof to some kind of sexual scandal you may be bulletproof to uh some kind of money scandal um but i think people that are are really secure in those areas and their faith especially ministerial leaders who are really secure in those areas the enemy finds a way around that and attacks us through the means of discouragement. It's probably yeah. the biggest and baddest threat to us and to leadership of, of good, um, solid people who are not tempted in those other areas. It's just discouragement. And discouragement yeah. it usually comes through people who, like you said, are on the periphery and criticize or are inside and defect from their faith basically and you've yeah. poured so much into them and you've done so much to disciple them and train them and then suddenly they're just like wait what what have you been doing this whole time you know like what <laughs> did you hear anything i've been telling you yeah um so just yeah i would tell people keep a journal keep you know just have a notebook and write down it could save letters um write down little things where someone spoke something to you that was kind and encouraging to you and um, and then go back yeah. through it and then you know that's something you could pass down from generation to generation but yeah, I've got a file folder that um, when people write a note, even if it's just a small one, uh, that means more to me than I think mm-hmm. people realize. And so I, mm-hmm. I keep a little file folder and keep them in there. And on days when I'm feeling beat up and discouraged, I'll pull them out and, hey, I'm not half bad. <laughs> <laughs> you just, <I'm>, you're, <laughs> you're in there and you turn on a dashboard confessional and yeah. <laughs> it, it's raining outside and you're just like, oh. <laughs> reading the letters that you send. If you don't know who Dashboard Confessional is, um, good for you. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> the early 2000s were kind to you, unlike they were for us. So, hey, so our topic today is um, a topic that's been getting a lot of buzz recently. And the reason it's been getting a lot of buzz, I think, is because of two media phenomena over the past year. Um, one of them is the Rise and Fall of Marcel podcast, which we briefly touched on in our mailbag episode. And the other one is uh, Discovery Plus put out a Hillsong documentary. Mm. And um, in both of these uh, media platforms, the podcast and the documentary, there are um, a lot of allegations made against these two mega churches. One of them is defunct now, but it was a very, very popular church with a lot of reach um, of indiscretions leadership failures but one of the terms that i've seen thrown around quite a bit is the word spiritual abuse Hmm. and um i had lunch with a pastor yesterday visiting uh hanging out with us there one one pastor was from texas one was from new york and we were just um hanging out with them helping them out talking with them about just kind of their their ministries their churches and and he told me he goes man ever since the rise and fall of mars hill podcast came out there's a lot of folks on my staff that listen to it and they have been very, very, very liberal with this phrase, spiritual abuse. So much so to the point where as a pastor, if I have to have a tough conversation, 
mm-hmm. or if I have to exercise my authority, like with church discipline, that claim has been thrown around that mm-hmm. I'm, I'm spiritually abusing people. Yeah, interesting. Or if somebody has a bad church experience, right? Then yeah. they've been spiritually abused. And, um, and that really bothers me for a couple of reasons, but one is more of a personal reason. And the reason that I think I feel triggered Mm. to use the uh, <laughs> to use the term the kids use is because in the 1990s my family and I were involved in a um in a ministry called IBLP or uh ATI was another name for it and essentially it was a homeschool cult led by a guy named Bill Gothard hmm. and for all intents and purposes uh this group would tick all the boxes of what would be considered a spiritually abusive group so if you're unfamiliar with this group, if you've ever seen 19 Kids and Counting with the Duggar family, mm-hmm. they were in this group. Our family's in for about seven years, and within that group, we saw psychological and emotional manipulation. We heard of and parents were encouraged to discipline their children physically to the point that that could almost qualify as physical abuse, some of the teachings that were taught. Mm-hmm. And then um, sexual abuse was going on in in that group as well. I mean, I think if you followed the Duggar family saga, you've probably heard of some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were in that for about seven years. <clears throat> and in 2012, I was going through counseling for a lot of the stuff I encountered in that group. And um, my counselor at the time recommended that I look and see if there's any like online support groups for uh people that were coming out of it and i found one called recoveringgrace.org and i went on there and read dozens if not hundreds of other articles written by people who had encountered levels of abuse within that group but only heard rumors about Hmm. um i mean sexual abuse physical abuse things like people getting locked in rooms for three or four days with just their bible like when they were teenagers to teach them what it looked like to submit to authority and not be rebellious. Um, I ended up writing two articles for Recovering Grace, just kind of about my experience. And Mm. uh, because of that support group, the leader of that group, Bill Gothard, he resigned after a lot of those allegations came out. So having grown up in that and seen that, it really bothers me now to hear people who have never experienced it on that level or who have never lived that world throw around the term spiritual abuse to describe a church experience that went bad. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm not saying that, you know, anybody that has a bad church experience or there was no spiritual abuse at Hillsong or there was no spiritual abuse at Mars Hill. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that very well could have been. But I do think that if everything is spiritual abuse, then nothing is spiritual abuse. Mm. Right? Yeah, you don't want to get in this position where you know your your pastor or an elder of the congregation tells you to cut something out of your life that is really stupid and destructive and toxic and you then recoil and say oh i'm being spiritually abused it's just right you know yeah so we want to be careful with the terminology but at the same time be able to rightly identify and avoid spiritual abuse yeah it's like the term um narcissist or narcissism Mm -hmm. yeah um I don't know when it happened, but a couple of years ago, that term started getting thrown around. And so I feel like since then, it is not unusual for me to meet with women, especially that are going through marital problems. And their number one thing they throw out if they're having problems with their husband is that he's a narcissist. Narcissist, yeah, yeah. yeah. And before my, that, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say before that, it was like, uh, I'm pretty sure he's bipolar, undiagnosed bipolar or something. Right, you know? right, right, right. So like um, my wife was showing me a podcast episode of somebody that is a for real psychologist and psychiatrist that said like, listen, someone who is a clinical narcissist is like 0.01% of the population. Like Mm. (laughs) there are people who can like light someone else on fire and sit and watch them burn and not feel anything at all. That's what a clinical narcissist is, right? Mm. Just because the guy's selfish doesn't mean he's a clinical narcissist, right? Mm -hmm. Just as the guy's moody and doesn't have any self-control doesn't mean he's undiagnosed bipolar. He very well could be, but just throwing that term around is super careless and reckless. And it actually discredits the experiences of the people who 
really have lived with a narcissist or really have lived with someone who's actually clinically bipolar. Yeah. Yeah, And it's the exact same thing with spiritual abuse, like throwing it around just because you had a bad church experience or somebody was mean to you or there was a bad leader you encountered. That's not the same as what some of the folks who've experienced real spiritual abuse have experienced. And you're discrediting and cheapening their experience um, by using that term so liberally. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. So um, I thought it'd be helpful today to look at what spiritual abuse is, to recognize some warning signs if someone actually is in a place of real spiritual abuse, and then to look what it what it isn't and to maybe give some people some working terms and definitions to use if you're experiencing maybe a negative church experience or a toxic leadership environment to be able to recognize that without saying that you're you know necessarily experiencing the same kind of spiritual abuse as somebody that is truly being like psychologically traumatized maybe experiencing so we can be just a little bit more careful about these kinds of things. So is that cool? Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. You don't feel like I'm dominating you or manipulating you. You don't feel like you're being abused right now, do you? Not yet. No. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, what's my what's my safe sign if I am? <laughs> well, there's a safe space behind you. I put some I mailed some bubbles mm. to your wife and she um this morning put them on the desk behind you. So if you need to go to your safe space, it's oh, right yeah. behind you. You okay. see it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You can just blow bubbles for a little bit. Just curl up in the corner. Down. Yeah. Yeah. You can suck your thumb too if you need to. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so let's let's talk like true abuse. Like the the word abuse means it's really multiple definitions, but the three most common definitions of the word abuse is number one, the improper use of something. So you could like abuse alcohol or abuse drugs. Two, the unjust or corrupt practice of something, or three, the cruel and violent treatment of the, of another person. It's kind of what abuse is. So spiritual abuse is when abuse is administered under the guise of religion or spirituality. Most of the time it includes harassment or humiliation. And those result most often in psychological trauma. And spiritual abuse also may include misuse of religion for selfish reasons for secular reasons, so somebody may be using uh, religion to, you know, make a name for themselves or, uh, you know, get money from people or ideological ends, um, and often this involves the abuse of a clerical position. So that's kind of a broad working definition for it. <clears throat> Some ways that that's used, it could be psychological or emotional abuse or manipulation. It could involve physical abuse including physical injury and deprivation of sustenance. Like I talked about earlier, somebody getting locked in a room for three days with a Bible and, you know, water saying, Hey, pray and fast and God will, you know, show up. Hey, hey let's pause here. Have you ever heard of, have you seen the video of the, the guy who's preaching and he's like, back when I was a youth pastor, I had this hot <laughs> shot kid coming in my, my youth group yes. and I just reared back and punched him in the chest. I just <laughs> folded the kid. <laughs> Yes, I have seen that. Yeah, I would say that probably counts as yeah, as not. Uh, yeah, that's not kosher. No, definitely not. Yeah, punching a kid to make him, uh, yeah, give his life to the Lord. Didn't he say he punched the kid in the chest and the, and the kid gave his life to the Lord after that? <laughs> that is that's the weirdest evangelistic tool I've ever heard in my life, yeah. Um, sexual abuse definitely is a issue within the church. Sexual abuse is often happening within the church because someone is taking advantage of their clerical position. Hmm. And so it's an abuse of power. And you often see those two dynamics at work, spiritual abuse with sexual abuse, because, um, you know, people in positions of spiritual authority are often trusted hmm. and people abuse that trust. And so that's why sexual abuse often is a part of spiritual abuse. Um deeds or words that shame or diminish the dignity of a person, intimidation and requirement to submit to a spiritual authority without any right to dissent or ask questions, the unreasonable control of a person's basic right to exercise free will in spiritual or natural matters. Um, something you see often, and my wife and I are 
are watching a uh, a Hulu series called Under the Banner of Heaven about the FLDS, hmm. which is really really interesting. But um, in the FLDS specifically, religious texts are used to justify abuse. So like abusing young girls to make them, uh, you know, sister wives for like an older man, hmm. like Warren Jeffs. I don't know if you're familiar with that name or not. But um, the way that that's justified, that child abuse, because these are girls as young as 12, 13, 14 years old that are made to marry these older men, is they use their religious text. They use the <clears throat> Book of Mormon, Pearl of Great Price, all this stuff, but also some of the early founding leaflets from the Mormon church to kind of justify that kind of abuse. And it's, it's despicable. This is, this is the sect of Mormonism that's fundamental and still practices mm -hmm. polygamy and everything. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, false accusations, repeated criticism. I thought this was interesting. Um, spiritual abuse often involves labeling someone who is asking questions or labeling someone who may be challenging uh, toxic leadership as being rebellious, disobedient, lacking faith, being demonized, being an apostate, or being an enemy of the church or an enemy of God even. And uh, man, if you get that label put on you, that's that's pretty mm -hmm. damaging. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, isolationism, separation, disenfranchisement, or estrangement for family or friends outside the group. Um, something you see in a lot of groups like Scientology <clears throat> and even in Mormonism is something called esotericism, where there are hidden and secret things in the faith and practices in the faith that are revealed to members only as they successfully advance through various stages of the faith. And then you're like sworn to secrecy <laughs> hmm. and a lot of fear is used to, to get you to um, like, if you ever tell anybody this, like you're, you know, God's going to judge you and send you straight to hell or stuff. Hmm. Um, that's a form of spiritual abuse because it's psychological manipulation. Um, enforced practice of spiritualism, mysticism, or other ideologies. And then you see this in a lot of groups, financial exploitation. Hmm. And so a lot of these are all practices of spiritual abuse. So, and Gabe, you've, like, when you hear these, I mean, do you, does your mind go to any one group in particular, or is it, have you seen these Man, this in is, a lot of different places? No, this can be across the spectrum of different Christian sects and denominations from, I mean, non-denominational charismatic world with, with people, yeah. In the word of faith movement, um, mm -hmm. all the way down to fundamental Baptist and, like you said, the FLDS. Um, yeah, it's just, I think it's just a human problem. It seems like when evil men, it seems like it seems to be like a lot of male clergy, although it could be fe yeah. female clergy. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. It seems like when those people realize an opportunity through the religion that they, are espousing uh, that it that it yeah can really grow some legs and take off and um, and hurt a lot of people. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're right. You see, you see, like pretty flagrant abuses of power and position, like in the Catholic Church, right? Like mm -hmm. Catholic uh, sexual abuse cases. That's a that's a pretty flagrant abuse of power, right? That's gotten a national attention. And then you see extreme examples like in the People's Temple in San Francisco, that's Jim Jones and like the Jonestown Massacre, the 900 people that are you know involved in a ritual suicide. Like that's that's like textbook spiritual abuse, right? <clears throat> Same thing with David Koresh and the Branch Davidian cult. But um, mainline churches or ministries that doctrinally wouldn't be considered a cult, mm -hmm. but still very well could be guilty of spiritual abuse. So, like, a lot of these things that we talked about really are using fear, guilt, or manipulation to produce kind of an unquestioning obedience from people. Mm -hmm. And um, so it, we, I think we said this in the cult episode, you could be involved in a ministry or a group or a church that is not a cult doctrinally, but the culture of that church is very cult-ish. Yeah. Um. There's a guy named Paul Carter that wrote a, a Gospel Coalition article, and he gave a couple questions to ask if you if you're 
you know, worried that maybe you're involved in a group like this. And this is your questions. He says, does the church oppose critical thinking? Like, are your questions met with hostility? Hmm. Does the church isolate and punish dissenting or departing members? Does the church emphasize doctrines or standards rooted in extra biblical sources? So kind of a very like my myopic spirituality doesn't focus on the main and plain of scripture. So the homeschool group that we were a part of, this was this. Hmm. Like <clears throat> what was taught as like gospel were standards that weren't really in the Bible. And in particular, it was like all music with a backbeat or that sounded modern was bad. <laughs> Seriously. So like if it had a if it had a drum beat or anything like that, they would write these whole leaflets and pamphlets to say that that was like summoning demons of sensuality. Hmm. And um which is funny because I play the cajon at our <laughs> services. So I'm like <laughs> so are you summoning you're the shaman of the demons of sensuality, I guess. Um well, yeah, but I mean, B Bill Gothard. The sad thing is, is that Bill Gothard and his ministry espouse some some good good principles, and oh, that sure. is like um, homeschooling. I think that's a great idea. Aversion, sure. aversion to debt, uh, great yeah. idea. Um, husbands leading their families in matters of biblical uh, teaching and spirituality. I think it's a great idea, and that's the thing. That's the the tragedy in all this is that there's people who espouse truth. And it's mixed with control, manipulation, and abuse. Mm -hmm. And so then the the people who buy into this and then get hurt and withdraw, they want nothing to do with any of that, even if right. it is true. Hundred percent, man. And that's what makes it so confusing because like you see the good and you almost justify the bad because you see the good. Mm -hmm. Right. You're like, man, so much good is happening here. But man, there's some there's some pretty big red flags over here but because of all the good stuff that's happening over here i don't think i really want to pay attention to the red flags right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um another question is does the church require inappropriate demonstrations of loyalty to the leaders in the church mm -hmm. um when our family was in that group for about seven years i remember at their annual conferences we would go and all these families would get paraded on the stage and they would profess their undying allegiance to what they said was a way of life and the way of life was you know being a homeschool family that's separate from the world that has a lot of children that you know everybody dresses the way that they dress right and it was mm -hmm. like the loyalty was never to christ or to mm -hmm. the gospel it mm -hmm. was to a way of life that was congruent with this program and the leaders within this program yeah, yeah. Because I think about it now, I'm like, that's super eerie. That's like North Korea stuff, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but when you're in it, you don't really, you don't notice it, right? Yeah, and I think this happens on a lesser scale with people who have a heart to serve their local church. And, you know, the pastor and the leaders of the church, maybe, who, who are unhealthy, will say, um, you know, why didn't you come to this? Or why didn't you come help us mow right. that? Or serve here or do that. And it's like, they may be good things and things that are needed to get done, but it's like, you don't pressure your members and your, your attendees. You know, you, what, what I found to be even more successful is the people who show up to a work day or the people who go and serve or the people who go and mow such and such yard, you get up and, and you say, Hey, I want to say thank you to those who exactly. took time and yep. sacrificed to come and work or do that or serve here. Um, but there, there's like this positive reinforcement, but there isn't this negative right. punishing and tongue lashing of people who don't do that. Exactly. You don't know what's going on in their lives and how busy they are. Yeah. Whatever. Well, and, and what you're doing is you're essentially motivating people to serve in your church out of guilt. Yeah. Yeah. And fear. And that's like the worst motivation ever, guilt mm -hmm. and fear, or even loyalty to you. They're like, well, I don't want to let so-and-so down. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you're not serving to you know not let pastor down you're serving because you you love the community and you love people and you love the lord right that's why you should serve um and so i think that's a very dangerous leadership culture if it mm -hmm. is all serve serving based out of guilt fear manipulation right yeah um does the church encourage members to break ties with family members or friends outside the group mm. Does the church make a big deal and focus on things that scripture is largely silent about? Which the homeschool group we were in, yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
does the church effectively isolate itself from the wider body of Christ within the world? Um, any church that, that practices a form of elitism that looks at every other church and says, man, they just, nobody has it right but us. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and a lot of times it's, it's dressed up in words like remnant, like we're a faithful remnant. Right. And, yeah. and listen, like, sure. God's, had a preserved a remnant within Israel of people who were faithful to himself. I get that. Yes. And amen to that. But I think it's like the pinnacle of arrogance to mm-hmm. assume that the true church is your little group <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and all the other millions of Christians around the world, they don't have it right. Like you do. And thanks for playing, but nobody's got it right. Like us, like, man, that's a dangerous territory. Yeah. And that can produce in people a massive amount of spiritual pride, but mm-hmm. also a massive amount of spiritual fear. Because if you move to a new city or you try to attend another church, the first thing you're thinking is, oh my gosh, this is the apostate church I was warned about. They're going to take me to hell and me being a part of this is going to drag me to hell too, right? Yeah. Man, I've seen that firsthand, um, especially the you know, someone someone new comes into your church and you, you've seen the leader who's been like, oh, yeah, why did you leave your church? Oh, yeah, don't ever go back. That's that's a horrible place. Or, you know, in the, because we, I attend a Messianic congregation, we meet on Saturdays. We have people who go to church on Sundays and then come to our service on Saturdays. So mm-hmm. um, I've seen Messianic leaders where they'll be like, oh, you need to cut ties with people on Sunday and stick with us. Where <laughs> that is, I'm like, dude, don't, don't do that. That is really messed up. You don't know what kind of... Um, friendship network and support group you're unplugging them from that they've been involved with for years. Sure. First of all, like you don't want to disrupt that. Um, I tell people, look, if, if you have the time and you're getting truth and you're, you're getting the meat of the word scripture taught to you at both places, by all means, go to everything that you could possibly go to as long as right. it's true. And as long as you have the time for it and you're balancing your life and your responsibilities to your family and your job, do it. And yeah, I've seen the, the breaking off with family members, ties with family members. It's, you just, um, you don't know what kind of, kind of tree you're barking up when you encourage people to do that sort of thing. Well, and, and people who are specialized in cult groups, you know, that, that study the psychology of cult leaders, part of the reason for why cult leaders often tell people cut off ties with family and friends is because they know if they can isolate them and they can get them to only form community within that group, they'll be less likely to leave. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they'd be more likely to practice kind of undying allegiance and loyalty to that group because that is that that is that person's family. That's that person's everything, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When people come in and say you are my new family, it's like whoa, like let's let's pump the brakes a minute here, because right? Right. When right. you're sitting across the table at Thanksgiving with your atheist uncle, there actually, I encourage you to sit across the table from your atheist uncle. Hundred percent, man. Let him challenge your beliefs. Let him criticize you because number one that's going to sharpen your apologetics and your ability to to rightly divide the word of truth and number two he may i mean next thanksgiving you may come back with some really good answers to his questions that you were unable to it's like let that allow that criticism in your life to to be heard and then you know take it or leave it but don't ever create this echo chamber around yourself because you know well and that's not even telling you to do so well, that's not even biblical because one of the things that you read about in First Corinthians is Paul telling the church at Corinth, you know, he said to them that they aren't to associate with people who are sexually immoral, and they thought that he meant people who were sexually immoral in the church. Mm-hmm. And he said, um, I did not mean the immoral people of this world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters, otherwise you'd have to leave the world. But actually, I wrote for you not to associate anyone who claims to be a brother or sister and is sexually immoral or greedy or idolater or verbally abusive. So mm-hmm. his whole point was like, hey, like, I'm not saying go into your little echo chamber and isolate yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm saying don't have relationships within the church with people who claim to be Christian but aren't actually living it out, right? <laughs> Yeah. So that, that's a completely different paradigm than what you see in a lot of these cultish groups mm-hmm. of, you know, only hang out with the people that think exactly like you do and talk exactly like you do and they're in our group, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, why, why do you think it's hard to recognize if you're in a church like this or a group like this? Why is that so difficult for mm. some of us if we might be involved in that to 
kind of understand, hey, this is what's actually going on. I think because you're excited and you're maybe potentially new in your faith, so you let a lot of your discernment down and you you know you feel this buzz of excitement and so and, and these pastors or these leaders are just really good at capitalizing on that and saying uh-huh. hey now that you're here and now that you're this new lifestyle and now that you're this and that let, let's get you plugged in doing this and hey make sure you're giving that you know and yeah i think that's probably just this that excitement you know yeah 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 i think that's 100 percent true excitement of it, the the feeling like you're a part of something really unique and special, you know, yeah, something bigger than yourself, or it could be pitched as like, you're part of an end time movement, mm-hmm. or like you said, the remnant, you know, you're this exclusive right. group of people. And if you want to remain in this, you hear some stipulations, you know? Right. So a guy named Ronald Enroth, he wrote a book called Churches That Abuse, and he gave five broad categories for abusive churches that are kind of the warning signs of spiritual abuse. The first is authority and power. So um, I think the Bible is very clear that elders, pastors are supposed to exercise their authority within the church. But a church that is spiritually abusive moves into the territory of not loving leadership and accountable authority, but rather um, anyone who asks questions, anyone who dissents, anyone who maybe challenges or questions, uh, they are shunned, they're cut off, they're kind of setting themselves up to be absolutely lamb blasted by leaders. So kind of the first big warning sign is there is a really heavy-handed authoritarian spirit at work where the main guy or the main leaders, you cannot question them, and they are very, very, very sure about demonstrating to the church that they're in charge, not you. Right? So that's kind of the first big warning sign, right, where you have that message kind of just pumped out all the time. Authority, power, authority, power. You don't have power. We have power. Sit down, Mm -hmm. shut up. You're going to listen and do what we tell you to do, right? Yeah. Second warning sign and red flag is manipulation and control. So fear, guilt, threats, uh, those are used routinely to produce unquestioning obedience, group conformity, and stringent tests of loyalty. So the leader-disciple relationship may become one may become one in which the leader's decisions control and usurp that person's right or ca- capacity to make choices. So, um, you know, you were talking earlier about people serving, right? So a leader might use manipulation to get people to serve. A leader might use manipulation to, um, you know, get that person to to give. Mm-hmm. And then also control that is a little bit uh, heavy-handed, like certain aspects of someone's personal life. Like, you know, does your kid really need to be playing baseball? Or, (laughs) you know, kind of where leadership takes a step beyond helpful shepherding and starts kind of trespassing those boundaries of a family Mm -hmm. and starts making it their job to audit and control the decisions are made by every single, you know, like, I saw I saw your daughter wearing shorts the other day, right? <laughs> oh man. Ain't you know nobody, what I'm saying? Ain't like nobody that, got time for that. Yeah, that's just um that's there is such a thing as like shepherding and accountability like mm-hmm. you know, hey Tom, I saw you at the restaurant the other night and it looks like you were having one drink too many like I love you brother, are you are you having a problem with alcohol? Like let's talk, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's there's between that and then someone saying, well, you know, I saw some pictures on Facebook and uh, your wife was out at dinner at somebody with somebody and that person left the church and your wife was hanging out with them. Yeah. Like, or a big thing now is like <laughs> like Disney. Like we see people right. <laughs> posting pictures on Facebook of them at Disney World and it's like, hey, should we should we confront that? Should we tell should we tell our congregations <laughs> not to go to Disney World? That's off limits. And it's like, well, why don't we just teach them truth? Right. And, and let them make that decision. Let them make that decision. And and Disney movies, you know, same thing. It's like, yeah. let's just teach people how to be discerning and teach them truth. 
and just trust that they're grownups and they can make those decisions. Exactly. And if, you know, your kids get invited over to watch their Disney movie, then you have to navigate those waters. But that's, we're not going to get up and, and create this precedence of trying to control every movie that everyone in our congregation watches. It's just exhausting. Yeah. And, and what you do when you do that is you cut the legs out from under somebody mm-hmm. in terms of them practicing discernment to try to please the Lord. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Their motivation becomes not to get in trouble with church leaders. Mm-hmm. So instead of them making decisions and practicing discernment to try to please God and you know honor the Lord, it's all I don't want to get in trouble from my church leader, or I don't want to get mm-hmm. I don't want to hear grief about this. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and that's so. I mean, that's not even helping someone grow as a disciple, right? Um, warning sign number three is elitism, and a sense of persecution. I thought this was really fascinating that abusive groups depict themselves as unique and have a strong organizational tendency to be separate from other bodies and institutions. And any internal correction or reflection, any outside criticism, instead of saying, huh, maybe we do have a culture problem. Maybe we do need to examine this and repent. Mm. that automatically gets framed as persecution mm-hmm. because they're the special group and Satan is just coming after their special group. And so it's just persecution, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Instead of going, Hmm, maybe, maybe it's not, maybe it's, <laughs> yeah. maybe it's, we truly have a culture problem we need to look at and repent of. It's And admittedly, this is, this is a problem that plagues the messianic movement that I'm a part of. It's like, we think that because we're, doing these things and it's different than how you know this group does it that somehow we're better or more elitist and so then we create this dichotomy well they're that and we're this and i i see it definitely as part of my my mission the last four years has been to break that down and i'll go speak at churches of different denominations i'll bring we have a 182-year-old Torah scroll that I'll bring and do ex- uh, exhibitions at different churches. We we have families that that attend different homeschool co-ops at different churches. It's like I want I want to break that middle wall of partition down. That's awesome. And be as transparent as possible, be as loving as possible, and lock arms with people and form coalitions with with churches that are like-minded on some major fundamental issues. And yeah, we have our differences, and yeah, we do see things differently. But I think it's so important to, to not let that cripple us as a, as a, as a body within this area to be able to do the, the weightier matters of the law. Absolutely, man. Yeah. And I think that's a, um, that's a very dangerous place to be spiritually when you feel like you're, mm-hmm. you're an, on this deeper level than anybody else. Right. Mm-hmm. Because essentially every person you talk with about the Lord in the back of your mind, if, if you're, that's where you're at, where you just have this sense of a spiritual elitism, you're just sitting there going, well, bless their hearts. They just don't get it quite like I do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and th- and that's like super toxic and dangerous. Cause it's like, <laughs> I can't learn from anybody else, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think anything short of I'm fallen in need of salvation and without the shed blood of Christ, I would be lost and without hope mm-hmm. in this world. Anything short of that. I mean, it's like, that's that's where Satan really seizes our pride and allows us to to do some really destructive things. That's why I always point to Moses and his leadership style when he's challenged in his leadership qualities and in his qualifications. The very first thing he does, and we see this time and time again, he falls on his face. Yeah, and he's basically like throws his hands up. You're right. I am not qualified. I'm just going to hand this over to the God of Israel and let right. him sort this thing out. And and God does sort it out. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> in his own way, in the Old <laughs> Testament, yeah, yeah. I think I remember how that went um, when people challenged Moses's authority. Uh, fourth red flag is lifestyle experience. So conformity—that's the big red flag, right? Everybody has to look the same, talk the same, dress the same, think the same, watch mm-hmm. the same movies, do the same hobbies, and and anytime you're—and I tell people this all the time when we talk about like. Unity within the church. Unity is not the same thing as conformity or uniformity. If you're ever in a group where everybody looks the same, talks the same, yeah, dresses the same, you're in a cult. You're not in a church. Get, right? up, get up out of there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
matching track suits run right <laughs> um denim skirts for everybody denim skirts now you're triggering me uh Ugh. last red flag is dissent and discipline abusive groups tend to suppress any kind of internal challenge to decisions made by leaders mm. so anytime there's dissenters those dissenters are immediately punished mm -hmm. and sometimes just shunned a lot of times humiliated um, they get put labels on them like they're rebellious or you know they've got an evil spirit or they're apostate or they're opposing god it's like i'm not opposing god i'm opposing you because you're a <laughs> I was going to say something I should have. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it, that is textbook spiritual abuse and people that leave these groups. And I can attest to this personally because I, my family and I, we were part of a group like this for seven years. You suffer from constantly questioning your, your practice of your faith, that you're mm -hmm. never good enough. You live under this vague sense of condemnation. It's almost like you've got voices in the back of your head telling you that unless you do it a certain way, man, you're you're blowing it, right? And mm -hmm. it's really what it is. It's, it's, it's psychological and mental and emotional trauma because it's long-lasting negative effects of manipulation and abuse. And it's, it's deadly, man. It's very mm -hmm. damaging. Mm -hmm. um so yeah that is that's spiritual abuse so let's talk about what isn't spiritual abuse right <laughs> <laughs> so we said this earlier if everything's abuse nothing's abuse mm -hmm. so what isn't spiritual abuse is being hurt by church so being hurt by church sucks it mm -hmm. hurts it's awful it's painful and the, the reason that church hurt happens is because church is full of broken, sinful people. Mm. So it doesn't matter what kind of church you're in, in church, there will be disagreements. There'll be slander. There'll be short tempers. There'll be misunderstandings. There'll be instances of selfishness and pride. And that may even come from the leaders of the church. So church hurt is real and it's painful, but it's not the same thing as spiritual abuse. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, do you think we say, oh, I was spiritually abused at that church because maybe it it gives meaning to the things that, you know, the, the con it, either, it either rationalizes our inability to resolve conflict or it gives meaning to the pain that we've had to uh, endure from other people? Uh, possibly. And I'm not saying that if you're, if you experience church hurt, then you haven't experienced spiritual abuse. You, you could have experienced spiritual abuse while you experienced church hurt. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a there's a big there's a line when that church hurt crosses into spiritual abuse it becomes something far more sinister. Mm -hmm. But most cases of church hurt are people being immature and people being fleshly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're not people being sinister and you know downright sociopathic and trying to manipulate you to get something out of you. Yeah, exactly. Um, someone could delve into that territory a little bit without being full blown. Right. Mm -hmm. But just because you've been hurt by church does not necessarily mean you have been abused by a church. And if you throw that out there, it very well could be you're trying to give meaning to it. Right. Or it very well could be you want to kind of wash your hands and say, it wasn't me. It was them. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah. 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 That, that could be what's going on with that. I think. Um, something else that is not spiritual abuse is being held accountable by church leadership. That's not the same thing as spiritual abuse. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, there are times when church leaders, that's pastors, elders, ministry leaders, have to practice church discipline and address sin. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those conversations just are messy. Mm -hmm. And they don't always get handled well. Um, but a lot of times, the reason that someone can respond poorly to those conversations and claim that they've been victimized is just because they don't want to be held accountable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just their own pride, yeah. So just because a church discipline conversation happened doesn't mean spiritual abuse occurred. It could mean spiritual abuse occurred. We're not, I'm not discounting that. 
but it doesn't mean that it did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll never forget a couple of years ago. Um, there was a guy that came to our church and he was like coming to our church and he did the whole thing of, man, this church is so awesome. This church is so great. I love this. Right? And he'd been there one time, you know, this is so much better than my old church. You know, this church in town, I, they just, man, they just abused me. And I was just like, Oh gosh, like, I'm so sorry, man. Like what, what happened? He's like, well, <laughs> I went to them with an idea about a children's ministry that I really wanted to do. God put it on my heart and they told me no. Oh, wow. And they drove me to alcoholism by telling me no. Yeah. Here's the door. door. Yeah. 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 I'm like, "Mm, okay. So he came a couple of times then never showed up again, but it's, it's amazing to me how that can be where people go. Right. Yeah. You told me no, therefore you abuse me. Therefore I'm justified in being, a drunk mm-hmm. because you told me no and I, you didn't give me what I wanted. So therefore spiritual abuse happened. And it's like, come on, man. Like that's, mm-hmm. that is uh, not the same thing. Right? One of the things right or wrong. One of the things I'm in the habit of doing lately is when people come in, yeah, their first time and they're like, Oh, this is great. You guys are like family. I love it. You'll see me here for years to come. No doubt. I always kind of just quietly say, yeah, but we're going to let you down. Right. You know, I just kind of pop that bubble really early on. Mm-hmm. And, and yet there's oftentimes there is a slander of where they came from. And that is always a red flag to me, because if you're going to, if you're going to slander where you came from the very first time you're meeting me, it's probably, or probably about six months away from you being somewhere else and slandering exactly. me. Exactly. And I yep. don't have time for that. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I'll usually say, yeah, but we're going to let you down. And here's why you see all these people in this room we're all broken and sinful. Mm-hmm. Everything right now looks great and everyone's really nice to you and welcoming to you because you're the new face here. But, you know, we're going to let you down. But we love you here. We love you and we want you to continue to come back. But I don't want you to think that this is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, Absolutely, you see like, man. like their face is like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and I think a lot of the reasons why churches let so many people down is because the expectations people have when they come in is that, this church is my Messiah. Mm. Mm-hmm. And what people fall in love with is not Jesus. What people fall in love with is the church experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when they see that it's actually full of broken, messed up people that sometimes can have bad days and be selfish or lose their temper, in their minds, they're like, well, that means Jesus. Jesus did that to me. And it's like, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dude, church is going to let you down, man. It's going to hurt you. Right? Um, so yeah, I think managing people's expectations is so crucial. <laughs> Something else to to keep in mind, and then we'll we'll land the plane. Spiritual abuse isn't necessarily a one way street. Congregations and church members can abuse, bully, manipulate, harass, and psychologically damage ministry leaders, elders, and pastors, all in the name of God, and being spiritually discerning as well. Now, granted, spiritual abuse is a lot easier for a church leader to perpetrate because they actually hold the power. Mm-hmm. That's not always the case, though. Sometimes it's elder boards that heard the, hold the power or voting members that hold the power. But there are situations that I've heard of where pastors are actually the ones who are being um, psychologically manipulated, who are being harassed, who are being bullied, who are being um, controlled. So in talking about this subject, we have to be fair and recognizing it's not always the big, bad, evil pastor preying on innocent church members. Mm-hmm. And I think that in a, in a culture that is foaming at the mouth to try to pull off a cancel culture on every church that they see, as evidenced by the, the rise of Marcel and the Hillsong documentaries, we, we got to keep in mind that, man, it's a two-way street, yeah. right? So... Yeah, this is like the situation where, you know, the the woman comes to you and says, hey, my great nephew is uh, in the hospital. He's having his appendicitis, you know, he's having appendix removed. Can you go visit him? And then the following, you know, you just don't fit it into your schedule to go visit her great nephew who's getting his appendix room. Then the next week, hey, did you, why didn't you go visit? You know, it's like, why, right. why I thought you were at my beck and call in every aspect of my life. And, yeah. you know shame on you for spending time watching your son play t-ball and not going to visit my great nephew 
as he's right. getting his appendix removed. Like it's and it's it's you have to you have to as a leader say you know these these are boundaries and these are these are things that you know I'm, I have to I have to do the best I can within within the parameters of my time and my family's space. But really, if I if I feel like I'm being manipulated, you're constantly holding something over my head that I just can't mm -hmm. fulfill your expectations. Then, yeah, that's. I would say that begins to fall into the category of of abuse. Of well, of and guilt, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean yeah. the three big things, right? Guilt, fear, manipulation, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Yep. So any church person that uses guilt, fear, or shame or manipulation to try to get to control your behavior, mm -hmm. right? Man, you got to come by my house and visit me. You got to, you got to, you know, meet mm -hmm. with me. You got to drop everything you can. You got to talk with me after service. And they're using guilt or fear, like, hey, we're going to leave this church if you don't. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't give us what we want. Like, I, and I've heard that happen before. You know, well, I, I like this church, but man, if you, you know, we don't get this, we might just have to leave. Mm -hmm. My response to that is always, well, you probably need to leave then. Yeah. Right. Or the, peop or the people that, that serve and serve and serve and give, give like tons of their time and money. And then, you know, they'll make comments here and there about like, hey, um, you, maybe we should do it this way, or maybe it should be that or whatever. And they're, they're like, you know, six months into this gig with you, you know, and you're like, wait, right. second, who are you again? Like, what, what? Yeah. Like, thank you. Thank you for serving. And thank you for doing sure. all this. And thank you for giving faithfully. But that doesn't mean that you have power. It doesn't mean that you have sway mm -hmm. now. That just means that, you know, you're being a, a good servant and that's awesome. Right. But don't use that as a manipulative tool to try to gain influence right. in our congregation, our church. Right. So it's almost as if like, okay, what were your, what was your motivation for serving all along? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Was it because yeah. you loved people and you loved the Lord or is it so that you could jockey for power or position so you could, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. Hey, as we land the plane, big question, what should I do if I or someone I know is being spiritually abused? Um, I would say this. If, if you're in a church or a ministry right now, or maybe somebody you know or love is, and they're kind of like, okay, there's some red flags, but I'm not really sure if this counts or not. Mm -hmm. Find a trusted friend, counselor, ally, or advocate you can talk to privately about your concerns and make sure that person is outside of your organization or church so they can see it objectively. Mm. So it could be that you're experiencing a serious spiritual abuse situation and you're not willing to call it that because you you're like well it's not as bad as you know the jehovah's witnesses right so it's not a spiritual abuse right but it is actually serious spiritual abuse you just don't want to give that label to it or mm -hmm. it could be that people including you are just acting unchristlike or immature yeah and if you're like man i don't i don't know who to call and talk to about that you can call me you can send me an email and we'll set up a time to talk um, I have counseled people who have genuinely been in serious spiritual abuse situations. I have told you need to get out, you need to get out yesterday. And there are some that I say, Hey, listen, it doesn't sound like spiritual abuse. It just sounds like there's some people that are not acting like Jesus. Mm -hmm. And it may be time for you to leave that church, but maybe not. Right. Uh, second thing, realize that condemnation, guilt, fear, shame, and manipulation aren't of God and don't come from God. That's not how God operates. Mm. Romans eight, one says there is therefore no, now, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2, that said that Jesus endured the cross and scorned its shame, so we don't have to live under shame. And Titus 2, 14 tells us that Jesus paid our guilt on the cross. Mm. So if guilt, condemnation, and shame characterize the movement or the church or the ministry that you're a part of, something's not right. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Also, realize that submission to authority doesn't mean that you blindly follow spiritual authority if it is clearly involving abuse or sin or there's some red flags there. Mm -hmm. um, the early disciples ignored the religious establishment's command to stop teaching about Jesus. That's Acts 6, right? Mm-hmm. The religious leaders of the day said, you can't teach about Jesus. And they're like, well, God says teach about Jesus, right? So, sorry, we're going to ignore your authority. And I'm sure that's probably hard for some of them that grew up in Jewish community where you submitted to the Jewish council, right? Mm. But there are times when following God requires us rejecting sinful instructions by human authority. Mm. Um, and then lastly, if you 
prayed about it, you've talked it over with somebody you trust, and if you've come to the conclusion that church, that ministry, that situation, that relationship is truly spiritually abusive, you need to leave and get out of there. Hmm. Um, but I'll just say this from a guy that's been there. When you leave, you're probably going to feel guilty. You're probably going to be intensely fearful of God's judgment for leaving that group. You're probably going to be fearful that people are denigrating you or gossiping or talking bad about you for leaving, calling you an apostate or calling you a rebel or calling you a backslider. But that's all part of the gig. Mm -hmm. You just have to get out. Mm. And you got to rip the Band-Aid off at some point. Any other things you would say to somebody that's in these situations? No, I think that I hit the nail on the head. Yeah. I think just the key is, is knowing, knowing the difference and, and, and being mature enough to know, like, like we said, discerning between what is abuse and what is just being around broken people. Yeah. Yeah. And that takes a tremendous amount of maturity and, and mm -hmm. uh, mental and spiritual clarity as well. So, yeah. Yeah. So, hey, if you got questions about any of this, or seriously, if you need counsel for any of this, man, um, send us an email. Myself and I'm sure Gabe would not mind at all talking with uh, anybody about these things. If you're in a group or somebody you know is in a group and you feel like you might be experiencing this and you need somebody to talk to, we would love to talk to you about it. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, I was uh, working the other day and I had earbuds in. I was listening to a podcast um, and it ended and hours came on and I was like, oh gosh, but I could hear, <laughs> I could hear as you're talking, me in the background inhaling through my nose and you could hear, <laughs> you could hear that the wind wisping over my old man nose hairs. Mm. And we were mm. talking about like what it's like to get old and you get itchy and gassy. And I was like, yeah. oh man. And you get like nose hairs that are like twice the thickness of. Those are some serious headphones that can pick up on all, all that all that detail going on. Yeah. Yeah. You can yeah. hear, well, it's like, it's like high pitched, like a whistle as you hear me inhaling. I'm like, Oh man. Yeah. Wow. The nose whistle. That's always a, <laughs> that probably means you need to blow your nose before we start podcasting. But anyway. I need to get Stacy up there with my Dremel tool and just kind of clean it out <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Good. All right. Well, uh, thank you guys for listening. If uh, you have any questions or want to talk to anybody about this, please send us an email or reach out to us and uh, we'll see you guys next time. See ya. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.